Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. We're going to talk today. Yes, I see your second is thicker. Uh, we're going to talk about the differences. You're going to tell me about your your view of the differences between these two versions of the system, because I have uh, I have taken a rather dim view toward Pathfinder for a while, uh, and I'll I'll touch on that a little bit. But I am curious, and this this might be interesting for folks who are who are into D20 systems or D20 variants from that massive you know tree of of uh, gaming lineage, uh, this might be of interest to talk about the differences, because frankly, I don't know anybody who plays Pathfinder 2nd Edition, nor do I know anyone who still plays 1st Edition. It seems like everybody, everybody that I knew who played Pathfinder jumped to 5th Edition when it came out, and that was, yes, uh, (laughs) and that was the end of it. It almost seemed like like I was really wondering, is Paizo as a company going to like dry up and blow away? Um, but uh, but do we want to talk a little bit about because uh, there may be people listening who, because of when first edition came out, aren't particularly familiar with it, or like not only it as a system, but where it fits in the the, the chronology of of the D twenty, as I said, the D twenty lineage tree. Yeah, I mean, I guess if there's people that have either stayed with the old stuff because, you know, nothing was ever as good as first edition or people who only started with fifth edition and there's plenty of them, um, they probably have no idea where Pathfinder comes from. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so real quick uh, history lesson on this, you know, the the, uh, D&D third edition and then it's it's quick revision 3.5. Uh, came out about 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, yep. and uh, seemed to, by its end, collapse under its own weight of all the splat books and the feats and just how incredibly extensive the system options and the character options became. And and so, what is it? Wizards of the Coast had cleverly published the open gaming license, which gave in perpetuity forever. It is not revocable. Uh, third party companies, if they met certain requirements and treated the core um, the core rule system in a certain manner, could publish whatever they wanted uh, 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 based on it, which was nice in some ways because it it, it afforded this huge explosion of supplements and other games and things like that. And that's where, if I remember correctly, Paizo as a company, didn't they, they published, uh, they published Dungeon Magazine. Yeah. And didn't they, did they publish Dragon also? I think there was a point where Wizards of the Coast weren't really interested in having a magazine. So yeah, I think Paizo were doing both Dragon and Dungeon. Yeah. Which then when D&D, they were going to move to fourth edition, they kind of, that was kind of the end of both of them and i think at that point like you said it was 3.5 edition at the moment, yep. which was still wildly popular like which you know hugely popular and we had like you said we had all these things that came off it but they decided as, as you know happens with D every i don't know 10 years or so we need a new edition 
And fourth edition was, it wasn't a little bit of a change. Fourth edition was an absolutely mm. radical departure. I mean, I remember getting fourth edition and thinking, this isn't, this isn't D&D anymore. This is, a, this is an MMO. It had more in common with like the World of Warcraft and, and other MMOs that were big at the time than it did with any previous D&D game. You know, yeah. you had you had these like, you know, these at will and these encounter abilities. And it, it was exactly like, you know, where the, 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 the grid, playing on a grid became more important than ever before because your placement was now super important. Whereas before you could always, you know, they designed it to use miniatures, but you could, I never played, you know, miniatures with D&D. I still don't nowadays. It was theater of the mind always, but with fourth edition, you really had to. Yeah, you, you were know, at a significant disadvantage to using the rules. And frankly, players who 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 built their characters and advanced their characters through those rules, you're at a distinct disadvantage if you're not using a grid. Well, I know like I like so many people, like I followed the herd and got fourth edition and welcomed it initially, but very our, our group very quickly soured on it. And um, that was around the time that Paizo was experimenting with their own version of the D20 rules under the open gaming license. And in 2009, they published Pathfinder, the Pathfinder role-playing game, um, as a, a competitor to fourth edition. And I think, I, I don't, I'm not going to look up the sales stats, but for several years during that fourth edition era, Pathfinder, Pathfinder was D&D. I mean, Pathfinder outsold. Um, it was, they, they were the elephant in the room and D&D became you know, through fourth edition, like a, a not second billing and, you know, but, but they were, I mean, for sales, they were in second place for a while. So I, our group, we happily moved to Pathfinder. And I remember a friend of mine that was in my group at the time, after the first session, we made characters because it was easy, played our first session. And he looked around, and he goes, that feels like D and D. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that feels like D and D. And so we stuck with Pathfinder for several years uh, several years until it, in my opinion, collapsed under its own weight as well with, you know, all these ultimate this and ultimate, ultimate combat and ultimate, uh, you know, magic and ultimate blah, 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 on and on and on from there. The, the proliferation of feats, all these kinds of things. And, and then I, you know, fifth edition came out and now we have this Pathfinder second edition, which I looked at a, um, a free, I guess it was like a, a draft copy that Paizo put out before yeah. it was released. I looked through it and I went, meh, not, not excited, not impressed. Pathfinder, I still have the core book, the bestiary, and I think um, the game mastery manual. I have those three and the screen, and I'll just keep those. Those are on my shelf. But the rest of the Pathfinder stuff, I've ac I actually sold off over the years because I recognize I just I'm not going to play this. But so what we're going to talk about is, what are the differences? And maybe, I don't know if you're going to try to sell me on Pathfinder 2nd Edition, but um, but I'm genuinely curious because I didn't give it that much of a look. And so how it compares to 1st Edition and what are some of the changes and maybe are some of those improvements. So you said that I could ask you questions or you wanted to me ask me questions. How do you yeah. want to go about this? So I was going to start of, so I've, I've listed out kind of the things that make Pathfinder 2nd Edition to me a lot better. And there are some things at the end that are still bad. Um, but I also listed out the, the problems I have with first edition. The funny thing is the first thing I've written with problems with first edition is bloat. It's exactly the thing you've already said. It, it, it got to the point where 
it, it wasn't just the big hardback books that had all the rules in. They were also releasing like softback player books every month, which might have new races or a new way of looking at a particularly small thing. And then there was no way you could track all of that. You know, it was just, it was too, there was too much stuff. Um, and on top of that, this was a game that wasn't even, you know, when they did Pathfinder first, it, it wasn't really Pathfinder first. Loads of people always make the thing that it's really, it's D&D 3.75. Yeah, because that's what it was. It was, you know, Pathfinder First Edition took everything about 3.5, made a handful of very small tweaks. And that's basically what it was, which was the idea. The idea was you could just take your 3.5 stuff and, and run it in Pathfinder. Um, and they did a really good job of like, they created the, it was a very kitchen sink world, but they did a good job of creating a world with actually some really cool stuff in it. Uh, and I bought lots of Pathfinder books, but it tended to be I was buying stuff because I liked I liked the the backgrounds and some of their adventures were really well written and well structured, um, but I didn't play a huge amount of. It. I mean, like trying to play it and like you you creating like you said level low level characters were very easy, and the minute you start getting up a few levels, they start becoming very complicated. Yeah. So um, my what I found what I really liked about it, and I and I'll stand by this still. Um, I and I and I think that I could. I mean, I could say these same things about fifth edition. It's there are things that I still say are good. I believe are still good about Pathfinder first edition. And they're the, actually the same kinds of things that I think D and D fifth edition does well at the lower levels as an introductory system. It's easy. It is easy to make a character. It's easy to make a character that has, uh, I'll say narratively strong colors, you know, it is a bright, like, okay, you're a fighter. And you're good at these fightery kinds of things, or you're a cleric and you're good at these clericy kinds of things. And this, these are the different categories of stuff that a cleric can do. Both of those systems offer clarity uh, for, and niche. And, and you know, and in, in all honesty, given the the limited uh, scope of abilities and the limited scope of the types of foes that you're going to face at lower levels, both of those games work. Well, I think either of them, I think fifth edition works better with theater of the mind. Yeah. Pathfinder is still very much rooted in a grid given, especially uh, with magic, how everything is blocked off to numbers and it, and it just, and given, given how uh, attacks of opportunity work and given how um, like flanking and those kinds of things work, it makes your life easier if you use a grid, but I don't mind that. I didn't mind that because at those lower lower levels, it was simple. Um, another thing that I like about first edition Pathfinder is that, and I remember they made this point in their betas. I still have those PDFs with the white dragon on the front. Um, they uh, they they made the point that one of the problems in the three X versions is that as you climbed up in levels, there wasn't something that happened at every level, and. Pathfinder provides that. Something of substance happens to your character every time you level. There are no blank levels. And, yeah. I, and I, I dig that. I mean, in, in terms of if, if you've got a system where leveling is a major piece of, of it, then when you level, something should happen. Yeah. So I, I, I like those things about Pathfinder. My last thing about Pathfinder first edition that I remember that I liked, I thought base attack bonus was clever. Because it because it factored into obviously it factored into your typical types of attacks, but you could use it on the fly to adjudicate something strange, like I want to swing from a rope and kick someone in the face. You had a number that you could hang your hat on to say that's how I'm gonna 
that's the foundation on which I'm going to base this next role. So I, I, I thought that was uh, that was clever, and it made grappling easier because grappling is always a nightmare in these systems. I, the first edition, I, I, I liked first edition Pathfinder. I said a lot of it. I liked the background and the carpet of the world building stuff in. I liked some of the cool new classes they put in, which were different, which I hadn't seen sort of before in D and D. Um, but there was things like that. So like, yeah, it was really cool. There was too many modifiers, just way too many modifiers and adding all the modern track and all the mod. It got a bit silly. Um, something I didn't like when you wanted to go slightly higher level players that, and it's something they did fix in fifth edition really well is the fifth edition has that idea of, um, if you level up, but go back and fight some goblins, those goblins are still a threat. And conversely, if you want to fight a dragon at a lower level, you can hit it. Whereas in, in Pathfinder, that's just not a thing. If you level up a couple of levels, the low level stuff basically can't, it can't hit you and you can't attack the higher level stuff. That's kind of part of D and D, but built into that in Pathfinder, I do, you would pick up magic armor and weapons as you go, but it's not written anywhere that that's what's going to happen. It's kind of a, an underlying assumption that was never written into the rules, which meant if you tried to have characters that didn't go the magic weapon route, you couldn't do it. Um, I mean, I've actually, one of the things I not, you know, the base attack bonus worked except for the fact that each different classes would have different base attack bonuses. So if you wanted a, a rogue that was also going to be good in hand-to-hand combat, that probably wasn't going to work. Um, and, and, you know, that was kind of the holdover from lots of the old third. Fifth edition has got, has, you know, has got rid of that now. It always has it. No, fifth edition still has that, actually. There's a, I've got a list here of things. Some of these are quick things. But um, the, the, most, the most straightforward thing about Pathfinder, the, the book is bigger. I'm a bit surprised to see it's 100 pages bigger. Um, I think partly that is it may actually have setting stuff in here because I can't think. because there's, there's The original one does not. The original yeah. one is essentially a combination of a player's handbook and the DM. So there's not the a monsters. huge amount here. But whereas, like say, say that we look at D&D in fifth edition, you, you have to have the Dungeon Master's Guide to play in D&D. You can't play without it. Both Pathfinder, more the second than the first one, you don't, there are, you know, the Games Master, I do not own the Games Mastery Guide. No. Um, it's mostly sort of tips and, and helpful stuff. There's nothing in there that you need. All of the Games Master and stuff and all of the, like, the counter build and all the craft, all the treasure stuff, that's in here. But also there's a good, there's not a lot of it, but there's a, there's a ton of pages of the background for the Pathfinder world, which they've, they've kind of changed what it's called again. Um, so that's the, their Galarian set, and that's actually in the book. So that's probably padding out some of the things. Yeah, that's new. That was one um, thing I appreciated about, and I and I think this is the same in both. I mean, really, to run Pathfinder, you need the core rule book, and you need the best Jerry. Yeah, one of it. them. I got like fifty of them now, I think. But that that's what you just need two books instead of three. Yeah. So the the first the first thing in like bigger book, but it is massively streamlined. Now, a couple of reasons. When it comes to things like bonuses, there's only a couple different ways you get bonuses. And if a bonus is of the same type, they don't stack. So if you're getting a, there's an example here, if you get a plus one for having a heroism spell and a plus one for having a blessed spell, you don't get both of those. You get the highest one. You just get the plus one. If, so let me, let me just ask. So in terms of bonuses, are there, are there categories of bonuses? Yeah, there's, okay. but there's, only, there's only literally three. There are item bonuses to so your, your magic weapon. And then there's status bonuses where someone's put a, a magical effect on you. And there's what's called circumstance bonus. Now, that's the one that would, in Pathfinder, would get very complicated. You know, is it dark? Is it, uh, it have you got bad footing? 
all of those kind of things. Now it literally goes, there is a circumstance bonus and you just take the best, or if I guess it's all negative, the worst circumstance bonus, and you just have that. You don't have to be sitting there adding them all up and getting it. You okay. can literally just go, all right, you're on a circumstance bonus plus one because of this. Um, this thing's being cast on you uh, and you have a man, and that's it. So it makes bonuses. I mean, it, when I play Pathfinder, I might mostly ignored all of that anyway, but this kind of like much more concretely just says, you just take the highest one, which means you're kind of, and, and they kind of limit to certain things anyway. So you're not going to have to worry about having massive bonuses one way or the other. So it's kind of, it, you know, it's not as straightforward as fifth edition has gone. You have advantage or disadvantage. Um, it's, you know, it's more, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not that straightforward, but they've, you know, they've capped it and they've limited it. So it's more straightforward. Um, the, the next thing is in terms of streamlining is they massively streamlined skills. So one of the things I hated about first edition is when you leveled up in first edition, you would have to decide where to put your skill points. And you very quickly ended up with some skills that you were garbage at because you hadn't been putting into points to them and other things which you put all your skill points into you're amazing at them. Pathfinder second edition has very straightforwardly, you either either untrained, trained, expert, master, or legendary. And essentially untrained means you have no proficiency bonus. So you would roll your D20, you would have your, whatever your stat is, that's it. Trained is your level plus two, expert is your level plus four, and then it's plus six, plus eight. So as long as you are trained in something, as you level up, you will get better at it. And at certain points as your character levels up, you were like, so at level, I don't, I'm guessing five or six, your fighter now becomes, uh, was it like your fighter was, trained in some weapons, a ma an expert in some particular weapon, and then you're, you become a master in another weapon. Whereas maybe a wizard is untrained, but they may be trained in daggers. Now that means they're still going to be able to hit people all the way up. Their base attack bonus, like to put it into D&D &D or first edition terms, is essentially, it's going up one. It goes up one every time you go up a level, your base attack bonus goes up. But because you can never become expert or master, you're never going to be as good at hitting someone the fighter. But at least you're still going to be useful in a combat if you have to use your bow or your dagger. You don't have that thing of like the non-martial casters falling behind. Um, so that's that's massively, it's you know, it's massively streamlined. The, the martial class is still going to be better because at low levels you will be an expert uh, in a in like a bunch of weapons. So whereas the start, other classes will be trained. So so depending on the the nature of your class, you start off with you start off farther down the road in some of these yeah, skills. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. Because previously you kind right. of just had, you know, you were proficient or you weren't, but now yeah. they're kind of, they've merged proficiency into the skill. So it's like, it's how proficient you are. So you don't have all the different skill things, your skill, you know, if you want to work out your skill, if you are trained in something, it's literally, it's your level plus two plus the stat modifier. If you're yeah. an expert in something, then it'll be your level plus four plus again your stat so as you level up you get better at everything which yeah. does make it a pain because like because everything changes like you know, have to redo your character sheet but nowadays you, you know you do it on a computer and you print it so it's not yeah one of the things that i had noticed that that really wore on me with uh first edition was when you pour prestige classes into the mix which i know that originally in D D third edition, my understanding is that prestige classes were not primarily intended for player use. They were meant for DM use to give the DM essentially templates to modify and customize and make NPCs interesting. Mm -hmm. And players, of course, glommed onto that. But the massive numbers of prestige classes in uh, Pathfinder and, and skill and, and, and feat requirements and the fact that you just mentioned the the skill system and how you got points each level, to me, 
that incentivized the worst of like munchkin gaming min maxing where you yeah. were constantly looking like three or four or five levels up to to angle to pick up more of these you know it, it to me it the 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 numbers the story got lost in the numbers yeah and uh and so it sounds like i mean you know dnd fifth edition tries to to deal with the skill issue by having you know your your proficiency bonus which then doesn't go up every level but goes up you know periodically um but that's interesting that that sounds like a that sounds like a clean way as you said to to streamline the skills yeah it's, it's certainly you know it streamlined a lot of it the other way they've massively streamlined it is and which made combat a lot easier is that uh, attacks of opportunity have mostly been got rid of or well it's not entirely true attacks of opportunity are no longer a thing everybody can do okay so you mean you don't have to worry that. about monsters doing it and you don't have to worry about most PCs doing it, which suddenly means that, you, you know, you, there are still reasons to use a grid, but it's not suddenly like you have to use a grid. And if you don't use a grid, it's going to fall apart, uh, which kind of leads me into the next thing, which is the, the, the next thing, which is really good, is that they've, they've made the kind of game very, very modular in nature. Now, what they've done by doing this is whereas in the past, um, like if you looked at a character sheet, uh, not character, if you looked at the character class description, the same as in fifth edition, it will say at this level, you gain this. And at this level, you gain this and so on. It'd be a list of things. And one of my bugbears with fifth edition is that if you take two fighters um, and level them up, every single level, they will basically gain exactly the same stuff. Now, yes, they could have different subclasses and the subclasses vary quite a lot. Um, but your characters are going to end up being like really, really, you know, relatively similar. So when we picked up, when we thought we we're going to have a go at the play in the second edition, what we thought we'd do, we're like, right, we'll both, we'll both start with fighters. Mm -hmm. And we'll see how different can we make these fighters just by going through it. And one of the ways they've done this is that you do have certain abilities. Yeah, at a certain level, you get this. But mostly what you have is they've, break, they've made feats bigger, but also feats fit in everywhere. So almost everything now is a feat. Not everything, but almost everything is a feat. What do you mean and by pretty that? Much so what you have now is they've broken feats and you have like you have class feats skill feats general feats and racial feats and pretty much when you level up there are the odd time when you get oh this particular level so i'm looking at i don't want to look at it here which level i'm looking at is this the paladin okay it's not called the paladin bad example but essentially what is the paladin yeah there are certain abilities at certain level you get it but mostly what you get if you look for the feats i've got a bunch of feats here at level one and so at level one you will get a a class feat everybody gets a class feat so you choose a different one of those class feats. And at second level, you get another class feat. And again, this is for every class. And you'll pick a different class feat. So when me and my friend Brian did this, straight away at level one, he picked like a power attacking thing. And he was going to have a big two-handed weapon. And I picked a like a sword, uh, no, a shield feat. So straight away, our characters were very different. Even at level one, level one fighters, they were completely different hmm. because my character was set up to, if someone attacks us, I can jump in front of him and block his attack with my shield. And he doesn't have that feat, so he can't do it. Whereas he um, can hit someone for a lot more damage with his big two-handed weapon. And then we kind of went on from there. Now, one of the things, the way I say these feats are modular, when you want to multi-class, rather than really going right well at level four i'm not going to have be i'm not going to have my fourth level be fighter i'm going to have my fourth level be a level in something else and it gets messy this basically says right so if you want to have a level of thing you pick a multi-class feat for the particular class you want which gives you some of their abilities and it's a feat so like a level a level three you pick the the thing that basically says you know barbarian 
barbarian barbarian multi-class and feet level three, something like that. I can't quite remember. And that's also how then they link to things like so rather than say prestige classes, you have these sort of alternate classes that anyone can basically buy into. So I decided I wanted a pet. Now, normally a fighter in no version of first edition Pathfinder or or DD fifth edition or anything else, without dipping into another class as a multi-class, you cannot have a pet. In Pathfinder, I was able to at level three choose the Beastmaster thing and i chose the Beastmaster feet which gave me i now have a pet and as i level up my pet will level up and then i can choose to either put later feet into my my fighter class feet and become a better fighter or mm. i can choose to put those specific feet into my Beastmaster feet which will make me a better Beastmaster. and and that's a choice so by the time we got to sort of fifth and sixth level our characters are now very very my character can do a lot of damage because he has this like black bear dude that because I've put feet into my beast masterness, he's like my 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 black bear basically does more damage than my my dwarf does. My dwarf guy, he he sits there, he tanks, he doesn't do a lot of damage. But his bear, his bear does a lot of damage. Um, I mean, you can get into the whole thing of like, you know, should the bear be an MPC or should the bear be, but you know, that's you know, for another day. Right, right. Um, whereas Brian's ball is stuffing too, he's got some cool abilities. Uh, which let him do more damage if he's in particular situations and stuff. So our characters by level five had diverged massively. Um, and that was oh. literally only using, you know, the base book and then the, you know, the advanced player's guide because that's where this particular Beastmaster thing was. So I haven't had to trawl through loads of books of that. And there'd be, you know, I, I could have gone the same thing, like we could have had a rogue and that rogue could be a beast Beastmaster as well because these other ones are things that anyone could dip into if they wanted to. And even if you wanted to stick straight within your class, Every time you level up, like class feats to say every, I know, three levels. What you'll have, sometimes you'll have a new, an ancestry feat, which is like a way of becoming more specialized as a dwarf or an orc or whatever. Or you have skill feats, which are like this particular skill, there's a thing you can do with this skill that previously you couldn't. That's the kind of stuff we see in um, in like 2D20, where it's kind of going into the, you know, the, the skill thing. You're becoming better at that particular skill. And general feats are kind of what used to be feats. So almost like everything's become a feat. So whereas a feat's always felt a bit like tagged on to me. To, to me, when I look at fifth edition, I mean, in fifth edition, you don't even have to have feats. You can just take... Yeah, they've, they've minimized the role of feats yeah. significantly. Um, uh, but, you, you know, so yes, there are a lot of feats, but whereas feats are like, oh, well, you have to take this whirling attack bonus feat for your character to be any good. Feats are now mostly put into classes or skills or these other ones that everyone can dip into, which means they're now, the feats are like the key thing for how the system builds together. Um, and I really like the idea that it's kind of got this modular nature. Now, on the one hand, you can say it makes characters, it makes character building more difficult, but the other hand is, the, the back of the character sheet is just literally a list of the feats and it shows you at what level you're going to get. So you know when you level up, you can just look at the back of the character sheet and see that you are going to get a new class feat and a new race feat and then that's it. And it's hmm. all the same for every class. So it makes leveling up much easier to go, right, well, oh, I, I'm going to go and look for my class feat. And that's why. So actually, rather than having, you know, everyone when they leveled up got the scanning, all right, this level, we all get a new skill feat. Let's go to the skill section and pick a new skill feat, each of us. So it made it, it's actually, it's modular, but in, in kind of some ways it like narrows down your choices in other ways, you know, it's open them up. So it's, I, I like, I like the way they've done that. Okay. You know, it's interesting because uh, when you and I just I had to remind myself of this and I, I opened up the uh, the first edition to the fighter class and yeah the only way to really differentiate 
that fighter would be over time to to pick up a, a bunch of different feats or to pick up a prestige class or multi-class into something. And multi-classing is, I mean, that's like a, you know, it's a hard right or hard left turn. What yeah. it sounds like you're saying is that these, essentially these feats that enable you to, to, to pull something from another class, it's, I'm still a fighter, but I've sprinkled this. Yeah. I've sprinkled this onto myself to, to provide a little bit of like nuance and texture rather than like this stark change of gears. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so rather than, Brian multi-class in his fight to level three. I think he picked up like the barbarian multi-class feat, which gives essentially it gives him rage. So he okay. hasn't he's still a fighter, he still is a level whatever fighter. He picked up some of the features by picking this particular feat at you know a particular level. Oh, um, I see. I'm looking at the character sheet right now, and I see that's okay. That makes it handy. That makes it really yeah. handy that so, you've got all this breakdown like, of what fits it, it, when. Yeah. yeah. Without that, I think it would be really complicated without looking at that page. But the minute you look at that page, you kind of go, huh, actually, I can see how my character is going to build. As I go through, I am going to, you know, my character is going to, is going to build up. Um, and essentially, yeah, multi-class is a case of picking feats into the uh, of kind of, the, yeah, there's, the special, there's a second set of multi-class feats. But it's if you want to dip into that class, well, here are the feats you pick to like kind of go along with yours. Um, so you're never going to be as good as, you know, the proper thing, but it, it saves the multi-classing thing where always, you know, like, so if you're a wizard and you start multi-classing, you start losing your spell levels and you, yeah. you're basically making your character worse than it should be. Yep. Um, because you wanted to have, you know, a level of rogue, whereas now you can go, well, I'm still going to get my, my, my spell levels as I go up, but I can have that, that rogue feat, which presumably gives you backstab because, you know, what else? I always found... Know? I always found multi-classing uh, in D&D very difficult to swallow narratively. It just, it just seemed, I mean, and, and, and unfortunately, like I said, I, I watched in Pathfinder with prestige classes and feats. It, 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 like I said, it brought out the worst in, in people as they just sought to, uh, you know, to, to build this mechanical monstrosity with all these points and feats and abilities and things like that. Uh, which takes me to my next question or or area that hopefully you can enlighten me on some. Like I said, I really liked Pathfinder in the lower levels. First through fifth is great. Uh, you move into that sixth through tenth, depending on what the characters have made and what the or what the players have made their characters into, and things start to get a little dicey. The, for me, the the game completely collapsed under its own weight at the table once you hit. About tenth level, you know. I, I remember running a an encounter with a tenth level evoker as the uh, the the antagonist, and I had you know I I, I could only man I only had the headspace to manage that one NPC because his character sheet was like three or four pages long. It was just it was a monstrosity, um, and and that's where the system broke for me because it was just there are too many variables, just, just too much going on. It was too hard to run. I mean, people talk about fourth edition combat taking forever, high level, you know, double digit <laughs> uh, level combat in Pathfinder first edition was, was just as bad. Uh, and, and in some ways far more fiddly because there was a rule for everything. And maybe, you know, maybe I'm just, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm as the Burgermeister Meisterberger would say a rebel and a nonconformist, 
but I, I just, it really, it annoys me games that provide a rule for everything. Like I don't need to be told how to, I'll figure it out. You know, on the, yeah. on the other hand, you know, the other extreme, if there's not enough there system wise, you've got nothing to work with, but how does second edition compare to first edition? If you've gotten up to or played around with the, um, with the double digit levels. I mean, we have, we've gone past five or six. We're in like, I know at seven or eight or something. Um, there's a couple of things which have stopped it going really, really silly. So one of them is one of the problems you'd always have, and you get this in fifth edition as well. As you level up, you start getting extra attacks. Yep. Now, Pathfinder basically has, when you're in combat, you have three actions. Uh, now, it doesn't matter whether you are level one or you are level 20, you will only ever have three actions. It's literally this three-action economy. And it also gets rid of anything like minor actions. There is no minor actions. There's no, I think you might get free actions, but free actions like, you know, you're talking. So everything you do is right. So if you want to, I want to, and there's no head and have to look at it. If I want to move, right? I want to move, drink a potion, hit someone. Three actions. If you want to, I want to attack three times. What they did is rather than saying, right, rather than having... Um, how many attacks you can and can't do will make it very simple. If you do a second attack in a round, you have a minus five penalty to that attack. If you do a third attack in a round, you have a minus 10 penalty to your attack. So even at level one, you can hit three times. You can try you to. won't because you're gonna, you know you're going to miss. So it's more like you're going to like move, hit that. Now, you also then have some abilities are so big, they will count twice. So like Brian's big power attack uh, is two actions. So he most, in most combats will move do his big attack. If he's already in combat, he will do his big attack and then he'll do a follow-up attack, but that follow-up attack will hit, will have a penalty on it and he'll almost never hit with it. But it's like, you know, what the hell, I've got another thing. Um, whereas uh, like, I think my guy will get his bear to attack, that's an action, and then I will hit and then maybe I'll do something else big, or I'll try and hit a second time and I'll fluff all the time. And I say. So that kind of makes it easier than having to work out your thing. It's much easier to remember... I'm just going to take away five. I'm going to take away 10. You don't have to worry about like the multiple attack penalties and, okay. and all those kind of things. We, we did get complicated. Like I said, taking away attacks of opportunity made it easier. Fighters can attack of opportunity. That is one of their class features. So I can live with that. I mean, I, I, yeah. I like, and it gives them a thing that is theirs. There is no other class in the whole of the thing. And maybe there's, maybe there's a feat that lets you do it. But they are the only kind. The same with most, most monsters do not have attack of opportunity. I've seen with one or two in the beast, you will have attack of opportunity. Um, so that's making things. Uh, and also, like say spells. So a big spell might be three actions or two actions. Now the thing where it's still going to break, and I'll, I'll probably come back to later. But yeah, uh, the, the, they haven't got round for me the issue of having if you stat up an NPC mage. That mage has got this many level five spells and four and three and two, blah, 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 and they're all that. To be honest, I'd probably, I, if I started, I wouldn't use all those spells. I would actually, if I wrote that out, I would go, right, well, here's the important spells. They need this damaging spell and this, you know, uh, buffing spell and this nerfing spell and this other support. And I'd, I'd you know, make sense. But that's still an issue. In the beastery, they do a much better job of trying to have less spells where possible and have more kind of, you know, spell-like abilities um, or cool abilities and they, they do different things. And again, they have the, you know, they this this takes, this is two actions or this is one action. Um, and you can kind of see how monsters are set up to do right. So if they're at range, they're going to do this, but if they're close, they're going to do this. Um, so that's nothing. Now, last thing, and then I'll, I'll let you come back to me, is that the, thing, the way they've changed the encounter building, 
So in counter building in third edition, same as fifth edition, you have this kind of, uh, you know, you have an XP budget. Yeah. And, and, you know, different things depending on their challenge rate and it's different things. Now, you still have an XP budget in, in Pathfinder, but it's purely based on your level and the level of your monsters. So a hard encounter might be 500 XP. And it basically goes, right, a monster of your level is this amount of XP. A monster the level below you is a bit less. Two levels below you is a bit less. Above you is this much. That, which means pretty much you can kind of always just go, right, well, most encounters will maybe be a monster of the party's level and something of a lower level. And we were able to, because like I said, I've told this part, we didn't really, you know, we've played this two of us without a GM, semi-cooperative is a kind of a dungeon crawler by basically having a random thing and rolling and going, right, we've rolled a standard encounter, right? Well, a standard encounter then is, there's only two of us, is a monster of our level. That's a standard. And then we just pick a monster that's our level in the bestiary and we, and we fight that. Building building encounters, really, and the other thing is, is that rather than having like the exponential scale that you got in in most versions of D and D, to level up, you need a thousand XP. You hit a thousand XP, you level up, and because of the way they've done that, it also makes other things handy. So, for example, like I said, and this is because if you're fighting monsters of the same level, always, you're always getting the set XP for that. So, what will happen is, at level one, you might fight roughly. Can't remember. It's roughly something like if you fight five standard encounters that levels you up. It's either five or 10. Okay. Um, but a standard encounter would be, you know, one level for every two characters, something like that. So it's not going to actually take that long, but it means that at level one, you fight a bunch of things, you're level. Level two, right, well, now you're going to fight new monsters that are at the next level. At level three, you'll fight new monsters that are next level. If you want to throw a massive swarm in, you can. Um, you'll probably stomp them and they'll be worth very few XP, but you could do that. Uh, so that made things like making like the encounter the fact that like we never pre-planned any encounters we did all our encounters on the fly by literally going what level is the encounter what monster are we facing um and then going right well that's how many xp it is we do the fight and at the end of it we get the xp but it also means if you want things like uh rewards for role playing or rewards for completing an adventure they can be the same amount one of the problems with fifth edition is if you give someone you can have 10 xp for some good role playing that 10 xp at level one is massive that 10 XP at level 10 mm-hmm. is worthless. And there's no rules for doing that. It's kind of vague things. Whereas in this, because it, you always know, right, 1,000 XP is level up. It makes it much easier to kind of put some See, of those things in. I dealt with, uh, I, I long ago, and I did this with Pathfinder, um, I just ignored experience points entirely. Yeah, well, you do that. For, for encounter building, I, I think that, it, especially in games where combat is such a, a big thing, meaning that, you know, even if you have a cleric and a stick all the time, the, the chances of your character getting wounded and or losing things, whatever, it may be a little bit higher than in some games where there's more like intrigue or, or social encounters. Um, but uh, uh, so, so balancing, I hate that, but balancing an encounter, you know, at least as a GM being able to say, okay, I want to throw some interesting, but not necessarily like speed bump encounters at the yeah. party and then have something more significant later being able to have some kind of mathematical support for that or guidance is useful. Uh, one of the things that, that just drove me nuts. I remember this with, with Pathfinder first edition and I recognized this in uh, an adventure path where they were, they were just encounters for the sake of generating experience. Yeah. And it, it seemed to me like uh, it was, it was like, petty mindless bureaucracy taking over my game 
And so I, I just said, screw it. And I've never done experience in fifth edition. It's always been, um, it's always just been story, story markers. Is there anything like that in second edition or do they still lean on And you? Know, hey, some people dig that. Some people dig having a spreadsheet where they're keeping track of stuff that makes them happy, more power to them. Is there I, anything I, like story-based leveling in? in yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that it's, I mean, I can't, I honestly can't remember because I'm trying to find it now. Um, I'm pretty sure that it says that like, you don't need to do this if you don't want to. You can just, but it's like what most things say. And in the case, they're just saying the XP is maybe it does. What I think, you know what I think is funny with that? It's It seems ridiculous to me. Here's this book that you bought. The Paizo police, are they, they can't come yeah. after you. Um, and they're, they're granting you permission to, to do what you want with their made-up world that you now bought a book for. It just seems kind of silly. I don't know, it's, maybe a little bit presumptuous. It's explicitly called out in the thing. It says story-based level, and it's exactly what go. you just said. Um, I couldn't, I was pretty sure it was in there. I mean, the main reason we did, because we were basically playing as a dungeon crawl, yeah. we wanted yeah. to do it, but, and cause we were basically playing as combat, but it is explicitly called out in a nice box next to the, if you want to speed up or slow down the advancement, there's a thing next to that that basically just says, just don't just yeah. level up. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you on the adventure paths. That was the thing I didn't like about adventure paths. They were good in terms of like, there was, you know, you, you went through the good story, they introduced lots of characters, they were nicely written, but you knew there was combat in there that were only in there i just hand waved that um, but it's the same i found the same thing in fifth edition you'd have things in fifth edition where they'd throw combats in and then they'd say oh it's such and such a in cat a point in the adventure you're meant to be such and such a level right. and then sometimes you wouldn't be so you'd be like oh well now you are uh, i mean I, i've often used the xps for a similar thing too i like tracking the xp because it's a nice thing to kind of like on the you know, like from a gaming point of view, it's kind of, oh, you've gained XP. This is what you got from that encounter because otherwise, you know, it's just lots of money. But if it's the story is the more important thing, then you don't need any of that. So it totally, to, but yeah, it, it does it. They have explicitly okay. called it out in this one, which is nice. Uh, um, yeah, something that I, I think it just for the people listening, I don't have a problem tracking experience and using quantifiable experience systems when it's for skill-based games. Level-based games is where I, I would rather just do it by story, you know, yeah, think, story points, hallmarks. I've got two more things why I'd like it. And then I'll, there is, well, I've kind of mentioned the bad thing. The, the, the magic is still an issue. Um, there is less bloat than would be. And I think it's been out now, maybe three years. Now, in that time, we are now starting to get some other books, but literally we have, we have the, we have the core book. Uh, we have the advanced player's guide, which, added four classes i added a bunch of options but um there is an ancestry guide which you can kind of just you know literally you only need that for races so if you're not bothered about having anything on the stand races you don't need it at all yeah um and they have just released and of course secrets of magic which adds sort of you know presumably a bunch of magic i haven't got the book yet it's only just come out um two new classes and then there's another one coming out later this year which will add two more but what we haven't got in between is all of the little books the, like the player companion books with tons and tons of extra feet. So we're not getting that. We don't have the bloat. Literally at the moment, mm. a player only needs like four books now and by the end of this year, five. But that's because they haven't been releasing tons of these little, you know, like the amount of player companions you had to have if you wanted all of the cool little bits and pieces. They haven't, they haven't done that now. They're kind of sticking to, right, we've got, you know, like a big GM release every year, um, a big player release in the year, and then we'll have, you know, the rest of the stuff's mostly their, um, uh, what you call it, the, the adventure paths. 
Um, the other thing, which is, it's not a big deal, but and we didn't even notice it at first, but when you go up magic, they still restrict certain magic things by level, which on the one hand is annoying, but there's a reason for them doing that. When you get magic items now, a magic item, uh, you have kind of runes on it. You can have a magic item. It's, got, it's quite complex and you can build your own stuff. But the good bit is when you get a magic item, it's no longer just uh, plus one attack and plus one damage. So you got, I've got my sword. It's plus, you know, that's what you get in D&D uh, since forever. It's plus yeah. one to hit, plus one damage. It's a fixed, fixed quantity. Yeah. So, and then you're a fighter there. And it's like your big thing was like, you're going to be able to attack more but your each of your hits do very little so the thing they've had and this seems like a little thing but it's fun and works when you get a magic sword now with a strike i think it's a striking rune i've just like said it is and it probably isn't um yeah you get plus one to hit you get an extra dice on your damage so your 1d8 long sword is now a 2d8 long sword which suddenly makes your damage start like if you're a warrior class Rather than whereas, you know, the wizards are like, oh, I've now got fireball. I just kill everything. The warrior classes, their damage is starting to scale up quite nicely as well. Um, so that was, you know, that was pretty cool. And we were able to buy weapons with striking runes. And all of a sudden our weapon, our damages went to, you know, uh, yeah, our damages went, my damage went to like 2d8 and, and Brian's went to like 2d12 or something. And if he powered attacked, it was like 4d12 or whatever it was it was okay. just like crushing falls which which meant again is another reason why the combats don't start taking silly amounts of time because yes the health pulls on the enemies are going up but your damage is going up so much that like we play you know we've played through from sort of level one sort of six or seven um and we've and we always basically always manage to do a level in a night and again okay. we're just playing okay. straight up just fighting combat there's another stuff because it's just the two of us i we you know what doing story we're just we're just having fun playing it as a as a dungeon crawl um but we haven't suddenly started getting through with the combats are grinding out and it's taking ages to get through because we're just doing yeah. a lot more damage when we hit people um linkedin that was a really important thing which i forgot to mention they changed how crits work so crits in pathfinder were horrendously complicated because you had like you had to roll and if you got a 20 then you had to roll again to see if it's actually a crit and it was I hate that confirming crap. yeah it was yeah confirming so i never did that anyway i just like 20 no what they've changed to now it's much more straightforward um if you roll 10 more above what you need so if you if the person you're hitting has got an ac of 15 and you roll 25 because you've got a nice number and you added it on yeah. uh, so if you beat your target number by 10 you do one step better and basically the steps kind of go like you know success critical success and they, they fail and critical fail so if you beat your the, your target by 10 you don't have to roll the 20 you beat it by 10 that's a critical you get to roll uh you get to roll you know double damage or double dice whatever it is if you get a 20 then that counts as automatically doing the next level up as well which means you do get the situations where you can roll a 20 and have missed someone's ac but it counts as still hitting um and the the other way kind of works so on the one hand it seems a bit complicated but it does mean when you're fighting people that are a bit worse than you you crit way more often well that which makes sense again, and also it if does. you yeah. it, it like in like in two die 20 with the uh uh you know like in star trek adventures your discipline if you roll at your below your discipline you get two successes not one yeah. Yeah. which means that the, the the better you are at medicine the more likely you are to have a a significantly a, a critical success and i like that I like that idea of, you know, I, look, I mean, and this is like old school grognard type stuff, I suppose, 
but a darn it, a 20 is a 20. And you roll a 20 in a, in a, in the D and D game. That's a critical, but in reality, that says that 5% of the time, unless you have an extended crit range, 5% of the time you're going to crit, no matter how good or bad yeah. you are. And someone who's really good at something against someone who is less good at something is going to experience great results more often than the person who's not as good. So I like that. That That's a yeah. simple way. I mean, see, a, a, a 20 still basically works as a crit. It's just yeah. like, I mean, chances are, if you roll a 20, you're, you, it would count as the next step up, but you've already so far over the AC, it's the next step up anyway. But it's like, so a 20 still means something. It just isn't the be all and end all. You can crit right. people without having to get a 20 and not because you've got an extended crit range. Because I like got, that because, you know, and yeah. that, that's, I, it always, it's neat to me when I hear of a rule, like I thought, you know, advantage in fifth edition is there's a, there's a certain elegance to it because yeah. it is simple and it is flexible and it solves lots of, of problems. This, this way of achieving crits in Pathfinder second edition, I like that. It's like, oh yeah, duh. Yeah. I once heard the definition of a self-evident truth to be something that regardless of how inherently complex or not it is, once you understand it, you can't not understand. You're like, duh, I get yeah. it. And that's what that is. That's a nice, yeah. elegant solution. Clever. And the downside is that when you miss a target by 10, that's your crit. You kind of like, well, unless your stats are amazing, usually you also then critically fail. So, so it goes both ways, but it's still. But that's good though, because it's the, it's, yes. it's the same, it's the same mental model applied on either extreme and and it accounts for it i i, I like that um so i mean, I mean that's kind of the the, the key things either like the main it is more streamlined yes the book is still massive and there probably are rules for things but it's much easier to ignore a lot of these rules now because of the way the book is structured uh you know they've removed some things consolidated some things like made the bonuses easier the, the modular stuff i really like the three actions in combat mate that, that's the thing when i go back to play fifth edition now I, I can't cope. I, I have to remember whether something is a minor action or a standard action right. or do they have full action, you know, all that stuff and which is which and how many do I get? And, you know, and if, if you're a, if you're a, a rogue where you can use your, you know, your, your, whatever it is minor action or your fast act, you know, cause it's common, you can use it to do this, but then you can't do this other thing. If you've got this feat, you can do this kind of action and it gets weird. This is so simple. You have three actions, whatever the actions are, you get three of them, unless it's something you use it to, you know, it's so simple. Um, and I remember just, seeing that in the beta and I thought that's clever. That that's yeah. a clever way. It's it, it cost it two, this costs three, this costs one. There you go. Yeah. So it just works so well. And more than anything out that those are the, the, the modularity and the three actions are the two things that when I look at fifth edition, I just struggle because I'm like, oh, the three actions is so much better. Hmm. Um, but also the modularity, the, the fact that, you know, yes, there are lots of subclasses for a fighter now, but you know, some are probably better than others because they haven't written fifth edition for any kind of uh, kind of balance. And once you go down one uh, subclass route, you can't then take anything from something else. You can't combine them. There's no way of mix and matching. Um, and actually, if you keep playing certain, you know, if you played a bunch of fifth edition, keep starting at low level, you're going to keep having people picking the same things. Hmm. Um, whereas I thought this, like, I think you can play this a lot of, you know, the same class, a bunch of ways, and it would be totally different every time. Um, Whereas, like, I mean, fifth edition, really, why you start below level three, I don't know, because the subclass is what make the classes interesting, and they right. don't kick it. The archetypes, yeah. Level three. Uh, so, yeah, you know, those. It just it's just bits now when I look at fifth edition, I'm just like, ah, oh, I, I, I some bits of fifth edition I really like. There's some like bits in there I really like, 
but then it's missing the stuff I've learned to enjoy about Pathfinder. It's just like, ah, well, why can't there be something in the middle? You know what? You have you have motivated me to give Pathfinder Second Edition a second look. I will now have to read the thing, or at least read through the final version and see what I think of it. <laughs> the chances of me, I have no idea if I would be interested enough to play it, but I am definitely more interested. I'm interested enough now to read it um, as a means of comparison or or, or ideas. Uh, because, you know, there's always, and you and I have talked about this before, The one of the things genre or setting-wise, genre, whatever you want to call it, that's missing right now for 2 Die 20 is a high fantasy setting. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes spell slinging and flying castles and all that kind of wazoo crap like that, sometimes there's a place for that. Sometimes you've got that itch, and you, the only thing that's going to scratch it is a flying castle. Um, and and there is no, there's there's nothing in 2 die 20 setting-wise that meets that need. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and yet there are so many things that I like about the way 2 die 20 the system flows that you can't do with fifth edition maybe i could find some things in pathfinder second edition that i could then combine with a flying castle yeah and i'd be we'd be good I and mean, i think for my thing pretty much it, it, if if there's a setting that will match it i'd always rather play 2d20 because i just really really like the system it's a great yeah. system um and it could do anything but we just don't have that fancy setting but there are times i'm just i want to just stat up some characters and i know what the strength index and everything else done yep. and send some people into a dungeon and hit people uh, and fifth edition does that quite well pathfinder second edition just does it better all right it is annoying that people haven't you know p- people of the fifth edition just became big and massive at the point that second edition was coming out so people haven't looked at Pathfinder Second Edition. But you know what, though? I mean, I, I think part of that may be, and it seemed to me that Pathfinder First Edition was in the process of of doing exactly what D&D 3.5 was doing in its demise. It was, yeah. it was in its demise because it was collapsing under its own weight. Yeah, totally. And the the barriers to entry for a new player with all those books or the perception of the need for all those books. I mean, I remember running games where I was like, listen, the only book we're going to use is the core book. <laughs> so for characters, that's all we're using. We're, we're going to make life easy. And then people would grind their teeth and such, but fifth edition has, and I think this is to Watsi's credit, they have avoided that. You know, they put out one or two big adventures a year, but, but they're not pumping out the complete this and the ultimate that yeah. they're not pumping. No, they're not, they're not bloating the system They've, you know, they've put out this, you know, what is it? Tasha's cauldron of everything. And they've, they've put out, they've put out books that do expand character options, but they are not bloating the system like 3.5 did and like Pathfinder first edition did. So I think that the, the, um, maybe it's a, it was a timing issue. I think it was, I think that there was, there was people that were probably tired of Pathfinder that moved to fifth edition and were like, and even if they went, well, fifth edition isn't perfect, but it does what I want. Yeah, and, and now fifth kind of edition. Like, I mean, with all the 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 normalization of fifth edition as a pop culture entity, uh, it's you know, it's like we talked about this. D and D is role playing for the vast yeah. majority of people. It's like Kleenex or Jello. 
even if you're yeah. not using Kleenex or actually eating branded Jello, that's what everybody thinks of when they think of it. And um, and I think that creates a because of that perception that creates a, a barrier to entry because people don't even think of it. You know, there there isn't there aren't like adventurers leagues or Pathfinder leagues or anything like that around at game stores. It's all D and D. Yeah. So, well, as I say, cool. That's groovy. You have convinced me to give this thing a read, and uh, I'm going to do that. And maybe, maybe just maybe I'll, I'll run it one day. It might take you a while. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm in the middle of this Star Trek Adventures thing. And my guess is that by the time we'll play this for a couple of months, I've got, you know, I've got story for a while, but I think that it's always wise with a campaign unless it's, unless everyone looks at each other around the table and you're like, all right, this train is rolling. No reason to get off. I think it's probably generally a better idea to sunset deliberately rather than let the thing just kind of like run out of gas on its own. And, uh, you know, if you've been playing science fiction for a while, especially something so like distinct as Star Trek, I think, I mean, we'll probably end up, we, we stay together. We'll probably end up playing a fantasy game. So who knows? All right. Well, that sounds great. I appreciate it. And uh, like I said, in my spare time, uh, I'm going to, I'll actually probably start reading it sooner rather than later because I have some, I have space in my, my reading schedule. So I'll, (laughs) I'll do that. And, um, and then we'll catch up and talk about something else next week. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash Fluff and Crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.